Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. The Outer Sanctum is recorded on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. We pay respects to elders past and present. Welcome to the Outer Sanctum for another week. The AFLM continues to bring the drama with St Kilda this week asking Hawthorne and Essendon to hold my beer while the AFLW chips away round after round with some stunning highlights and some impressive winning streaks. My name is Emma Race and I am joined by my football loving siblings of the Sanctum. I'm going to let them introduce themselves. Hello, it's Teddy Tess Armstrong here. Hello, it is Lucy Lulu Race here. <laughs> Lucy Tullamarine. Lucy, Lucy used to call herself to Lucy Tullamarine when we were little. Love it's the a beautiful airport. middle That's name. Beautiful. I used to um, want my name to be Sonia with a J, and I don't know why, but I was, as a child, very into wrestling, <laughs> WWF, which I think I've said on the pod before, <laughs> but I thought Tess was a very boring wrestling name. If I was ever to make it, I would have to be called Sonia, and so there was a period there in grade one where I was just deep on the playground just call me Sonia just call me Sonia well I love it I did tell you I think I've told you this off air I don't know if I've ever gone live with it on air (laughs) that my diary was always dear Tess so I was always waiting for you to come into my life here I am you can call me anytime (laughs) no way no one gets to read that (laughs) no I once said in my diary in primary school that I think I'm in love with this boy that I had a huge crush on and that I knew what love felt like because when I went to the um, mall with my mum, I was nervous that I would run into him. That was how I described oh. being in love as a child and I think that's pretty valid. Yeah, I think that's really valid. When I was a little kid, I didn't think there was a name that was better than Patricia. I thought it was so beautiful. <laughs> I think about it now. Shout out to any Pats out there. I thought, you lucky, you lucky, lucky women being called Patricia. What a name. <laughs> It's abs- Well, it's absolutely stunning and it's funny we should be talking about love because a little later in the program we'll talk about how footy is love gone wrong. This time of year is love gone wrong. Now, can I just say I have this theory and I have a saying in my household that you don't make a decision when you're hungry or tired because we've been sleep deprived and hungry, of course, for 18 months of my child's life. And I realise you can really um, get down on things when you're really hungry and really tired. And last week I, th- I said, I am done with men's football. And then I realised that I was both hungry and tired in the footy sense that I had received the news that Sydney Stack had been delisted from Richmond and that Brett Radden had been sacked from St Kilda. And I thought, actually, October in the men's year is hungry, tired season. There's only bad news coming. There's no good news. You get none of the fun. So don't make a decision about being your club being dead to you forever in October. That's all I'm saying. Let's call it Octangri Octangri from now on. Octangri for sure. It's the hangry season. But when you, you know, you also shouldn't go shopping when you're hungry or tired Mm. because you'll just buy junk food. Yeah. Well, then how do you explain having trade, like the trading (laughs) at that time? You can't make a good decision. No, you haven't. Trade's gone bad. Yeah, that's right. Like I haven't seen that guy play for a while. Must be no good. Off he goes. So anyway, that's my advice to people. Just wait it out. Like when Lucy's husband, Murray condoed his jumper drawer and was like, well, I haven't worn that for five months, threw out all his jumpers and then realised, oh, I did that in summer. (laughs) That's what space bags, we've all seen the infomercial, that's what space bags are for. Guys, vacuum them up, put them in the top cupboard. It's true. Okay, how did round eight treat you? I want to come to you for highlights, Lucy Telemarine. Highlights, oh my goodness, what an amazing round of football yet again. And I'm going to go with my highlight, it's one that people might not, sort of necessarily go towards because it's a team that hasn't had a win yet. But Sydney, Mm. I thought they played so well. They were so close to getting their first win. They went down to the Bombers by only four points. 
but it was just a great game to watch. I really enjoyed watching just a bit more connection between the players. I thought they um, brought the intensity through the whole game, which was fantastic. I really loved seeing Cynthia Hamilton playing in the forward line and was rewarded with two goals. But how good are those first goal feels and those first goal celebrations? And Zoe Hurrell on debut on her 21st kicked her first goal was just glorious um shout out also to Sophia Hurley who kicked her first goal and then at the other end because you know me I'm going to try and get in two highlights congratulations to Daisy Pierce and I know we all bang on about days and what a champion she is but to see her play her 50th game was wonderful um that she kicked the first goal for the D's was great There was a quote I read from her where she was talking about, you know, 50 games and how, you know, she's someone who's pretty humble and she doesn't often kind of get into the emotion and, you know, talking about milestones and those sorts of things. And she was like, no, but hang on. I've been, you know, she'd been reflecting on 50 games and what she said was, I couldn't play a single game until I was 29. So I was nearly 30 when the competition started. And then we were going six or seven games at a time to begin with. So they're really hard to come by, AFLW games. And I just thought, you nailed it, Days. And to see her chaired off with her twins being chaired off next to her was pretty beautiful. And to take time out of the game to have a twin pregnancy and to work your way back in. She's getting her 50 games at the same time as so many other leaders in the game, which is just extraordinary, and an ACL. I feel like there's no ceiling with Days, and every time she opens her mouth she says everything that I think and I want her to say but with more eloquence and with more gusto because she's actually got the goods to back it up. And also (laughs) with some marking and some kicking goals. Yay, Daisy. Totally amazing. Tess, your Tigers are on an absolute streak. How are you feeling? I am so excited about it. Also, I come from behind, you know, we didn't start well the other night. You know how all different wins have different meaning to you. And the other night we didn't start that well and then we were able to come back, have a great win. Courtney Wakefield, I'm just like actually obsessed with her. There's a good like number correlation going on with my Tigers M and W at the moment because Jack Rewald, of course, my favourite men's player number eight, Courtney Wakefield, my favourite Tigers women, number eight. Mon Conti, number four. Dustin Martin, number four. It's just nice. I've got like a good, real good vibes going on. Um, that's unrelated anyway, but also for Tigers fans and generally anyone, Courtney Whitefield did an Instagram takeover yesterday on the Richmond Women's Instagram account. Very worth having a little squeeze back at that because it really goes into just how remarkable she is. I mean, she travels from the farm like hours away to Melbourne to play these games. She is a sheep farmer. She's got so much going on in her life. It kind of goes through her day. She also answers questions about who she thinks would be helpful from the team on the farm and who would be the least helpful. Jess Hosking, she thinks would be the most helpful. Harriet Cordner, she thinks would be the least helpful. So that is just delightful content (laughs) for me. She's just an absolute all-round legend. And also this weekend, the Tigers will be playing in Mildura which is awesome. So Mildura people can get along and see an AFLW game, but also that's in front of her friends and family and how special that is for someone who commutes. Let's be honest, I'm a commuter, so I really appreciate a commute, but she'll be able to actually play in front of her people, which is just wonderful. Um, Speaking of regional games, Ballarat turned it on again yesterday. Now, can I just say two games, two tropically beautiful days uh, in the sunshine town of Ballarat. So that was an absolute cracker as well between the dogs and the saints. And the other shout-out has got to be Jazzy Garner. What an absolute superstar of the game. She is on absolute fire. She's just in top form this season, season seven. And on Saturday she she proved it again. I mean, really great effort from Port Adelaide, I thought. They were really in it for quite a long time and I think it surprised everyone, including North. But Jazzy Garner just turned it on and away they went. And North are a real smoky. They're up there. They're in with a chance. But great round. A lot of highlights this weekend. And also, um, I'll say this about Jazzy Garner, just ice in her veins. Just like, yeah, just could. Totally. She just doesn't give anything away. And most people are saying she's already got one hand on the um, on the best and fairest. You would think that that's, you know, really likely. It's interesting to see where North can go. I feel like they're one of those teams that have missed out and it's been that 
you know, fairy tale that's kind of been turned into heartbreak so many times over, but maybe it gets a bit overshadowed by the Ds because of their also percentage heartbreak stories. My highlights were a catch and Sab's goals because I love seeing those women succeed and the goals were spectacular and I think it puts to rest a bit of commentary that at least sits around Sab's about whether or not, you know, she's still got it and she's still really important to the game. Of course, I think that she is incredibly important to the game for so many more things than just what she does on the field. But these were really spectacular goals, great celebrations, great setup, and actually just real feats of strength. It's like real footballer goals. And also, I hate to say this, but when GWS beat Hawthorne, GWS, uh, just by one point, just by the one point, if you were following along or not, uh, Jacinta Barclay was, of course, number 34 for GWS and they posted 34, which was the score at the end and said she's always looking um, over us. And I just thought, you know, it can never be forgotten what that team has gone through. And if you've been watching uh, Fearless, you would have, you know, had the opportunity to kind of get up close and see the impact that Jacinda has had on that playing group. And it can't ever be forgotten, especially when you are only playing, you know, seven or eight games in a season from, you know, from the start that they're bonded for such a short time. But to have something so significant happen as the death of Jacinda, I just, I love that she's a constant kind of part of their story and that they remember her like that. So they were my highlights, even though one of them makes me a little sad. Lulu? Mm. The other highlight has to be just the beauty of Pride Round and the across the board representation, inclusion and stories and celebration for the LGBTQI plus community. And I thought this round the rounds in the past have been incredible as well, but this was just beautiful. Watching the Bulldogs play in their jumper with the trans flag was actually just so emotional and I'm glad they got the win in that jumper. But all of the teams and all of the players, thank you so much to the Pride groups who do so much in terms of helping to make it just an awesome community. And we saw so many Pride groups represented either in developing jumpers or being in Guards of Honour and those sorts of things. And also to the many people who shared really personal stories over, over the week. And those things all make a difference. They really do. And I know that it's it's not always easy and there's sometimes some awful pushback and I just want to say thank you. Yeah, that's a fair shout too because for as beautiful as it's been, there's been some real noise. It's been horrific for uh, people that we love who've been copying it online and it's been quite a reaction to this Pride Round. It feels like they circled the troops just to be particularly mean. I saw some really bad homophobic stuff on socials this week but in the, in the actual game, in the IRL, the celebration is real and that all comes at a cost but those players just telling their stories have been absolutely beautiful. Gee, it sets the competitions apart, the W and the M, doesn't it? When mm-hmm. you know, I got back to thinking and I'm, I'm not one to think that any AFL M player ever needs to come out. I don't need anyone to declare who they love. It's none of my business to be honest but the fact that we still have had no one in the M ever talk about their sexuality and come out and feel the support or feel that they could is getting to the point of absolute ridiculousness. It is just such a, I feel it's such a beacon in what that says about the culture. Do you sometimes, Mm. does it kind of sometimes blow your little mind? And I keep thinking as well that um, generationally it will change because, of course, a lot of young kids are very comfortable with their sexuality at a younger age. And I would have thought that, you know, being drafted in at a younger age, maybe this would just not be a conversation. And it still is. And I just really feel like, I feel for them actually quite a lot because um, it's going to be a real moment when that league is finally comfortable and, and properly doing what they say they do, which is embracing everybody and and everybody being welcome to be who they are in a in a in a public way and yeah it was beautiful yesterday there was a pride parade in Ballarat and it's just beautiful you know the country towns as well just everybody being out and about so much rainbow on display um the mascots in their trans flag 
jumpers, which was absolutely stunning. Got a pick with one. Uh, and it was just glorious, glorious celebration. And I, do, I want that for them M as well. I think, it, I think it would be so meaningful and I want them to have that. Um, so we can only hope for a, a better future, I guess, there. Absolutely. Speaking about being welcome and community and culture, we have a really special announcement to make. We're doing a special co-pro in supporting Shelley Ware and Amanda Jean Hoskins in an event that uh, is going to happen on the 25th of October in Melbourne, which is next week. And it's Make Your Own Mangrook. And we've been talking about this. We've talked about this on the pod. I think Shelley's mentioned it before, but it's an opportunity to sit in a yarning circle and to hear from First Nations educators to talk about the culture, to talk about the history of Mangrook, to make your own Mangrook and take that home and be able to kick your own possum skin around the house with your kids or your partner or whatever it is. And I just feel really excited about this event for a couple of reasons, because I think it's going to be super, super fun, but also because I feel so often that I interact with Aboriginal and First Nations culture in a reactive sense when something, when someone's been racist, when there's been some horrific moment. And I know that we do an acknowledgement of country and I really respect that. And of course, we'll always do that. But this for me is a moment to actually engage and celebrate culture and be a part of and experience Aboriginal culture and an event that feels so personal and feels so welcoming and is a celebration rather than a reaction. Uh, I'm really excited about it because I don't, I feel that it will be a moment that we get moved. I, I think that there'll be something that feels like we're really tapping in and so few opportunities as an adult to educate yourself in ways that um, step outside the box. So I'm really excited about it. Uh, you can all come along. There's tickets available. We've been posting on our socials and we'll put it, the link in the show notes here. You guys will be there. Are you excited about it? Yeah, I'm so excited for very much the same reasons as you, Emma. I think I feel that lack of having the opportunity to engage with Indigenous history and culture as I was growing up. And so I just really want to take all of the opportunities to do that now whenever I can. So I'm really looking forward to it. The tickets are $120. So that covers the event. It covers all of the supplies, but it is also a fundraiser to support Amanda Jean, who's going through cancer treatment. And I couldn't be prouder of, of being involved in this event to be able to support her. And at this time, one thing that we saw that was beautiful this week is Marty Dangerfield can't make it because she's just had a new baby. So shout out Marty. And she bought a ticket to pay it forward so that someone else could come, which I also really loved. I think that that is such a generous way to be involved and be part of it, uh, really kind of engages in the spirit of this event. So please get your tickets and come along. There'll be Sanctumers there. Shelley will be there. Shelley will be doing Shelley things that we've not seen before where she, she's going to tell us a whole lot of stuff that we don't know yet and I'm so looking forward to it. So I hope that you'll come along. Uh, I'm going to take my daughters. I'm going to bring some of my kids along and maybe even mum. I was thinking mum might like it, Lou. Mm, I think she might I like it. It's a great idea. Is it time to roll up our <laughs> sleeves on our chambray shirts and melee? <laughs> So this week, it's really hard to even get your head around this. This week, St Kilda took everyone by surprise when they sacked coach Brett Ratton just months after he'd signed his contract extension. Tess, you've got St Kilda fam. How are they taking this news? Oh, the group chats have been wild. Actually, they're two-part. Devastated, so furious, they can't read anything about it because they are so furious. Secondly, not at all surprised and disappointed by not being at all surprised. I've got an idea for you. It's something that I would just absolutely love to see. So one thing about footy that does get me down is just this like rinse and repeat press conference, right, where you have a press conference they go, no, 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 this time it's serious, guys. We've decided, no, 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 this time this is just not the person. This one's the real one. Now, if you're going to tell long-suffering, and there is no longer-suffering group of people than St Kilda fans in footy, in AFL, they have truly, they truly deserve some real talk from their management. Instead of it somehow ending up leaking at 10 o'clock at night 
that is so disrespectful. So there was a lot of talk in the press conferences about how respected Brett is and how loved he is and stuff like that. But did those actions speak to you of respect and love for a person? Not at all. So my theory is that if you're going to do this and management 100% have to make these decisions and maybe it's going to be the right decision and maybe they truly believe this time it is the right decision and they have to make the call even though it's awkward to make the call at this time. Jump on Facebook Live with all of your people and take live questions from your members, from your fans. Don't go to another press conference at 11.30 with footy journos who are probably sick to death of these press conferences too. Speak to your people. And then when you say words like we've got to be ruthless, if, you know, Jane from Maryborough says, what does that mean? Tell me what it means that is, what does ruthless actually mean? And questions you, that is the kind of accountability I want to start seeing from boards and CEOs. Talk to your fans, talk to your members, stop talking to each other on a boat and then talking to each other in the boardroom and start actually advocating for why you think this is genuinely the right decision. And it's absolutely (laughs) outrageous to say, no, no, we've got to make this decision. We've got to tell you about it today, but I will not be dragged into any questions about the future. And I can't tell you anything about who might be coaching you. I go, okay, cool. So if I get a membership email this week saying, please sign up, I go, what for? What am I signing up for? Who am I signing on for? It just... It really did um, my head in. I think I've still got a little bit of St Kilda blood. <laughs> it turns out. I think you do too, Ted, because you sounded quite St kilda when you were <laughs> talking in our group chat. I want to get one of those jobs where someone gives me a contract and I can sign it to get paid for the next two years and then I don't have to do it because I actually I think I could nail that. Totally. I could nail Heaven. those KPIs. I could coach. I could not coach St Kilda for two <laughs> years. I could do a really good job of that. I'm gonna. I'm totally stealing this from what's been happening in the UK with Liz Trust. But I, you could actually say it's just three more sacked coaches till Christmas, <laughs> right? So, and I don't. I don't care about the mess. I think we talked about this last week. I don't care about clubs changing their mind and going in a different direction and. And calling it, but I, I feel for the members. I mm. really feel for the members because they had just signed up or they had just received their membership, you know, request to renew and, and they probably thought they knew what the status quo was and then it all changed. So that is challenging. I would love to see clubs do that too, Tess. I don't. I think that that would be the next frontier for them to be that brave and to take those questions. But I also feel for Ratten. Like mm. I know last week I got my knickers in a knot about a man's lost his job, but a man has lost his job here. <laughs> Just one week at a time with Lucy Race. But no, but because <laughs> the circumstances are just so, like, it's so brutal. Mm. And I don't know, I want to bat something up to you guys because this is feeling very succession. <laughs> Go with me here. There was an article by Peter Ryan in The Age where he was talking about this discussion that happened on the yacht. So it was Lindsay Fox's 85th birthday. There was a whole heap of power brokers, heavy hitters, billionaires on a luxury liner cruising from New York to Montreal. And that is where Andrew Bassett was pondering the troubling results of the review. And that just reminded me of that big boat in whatever season it was of succession. And then when I read the highlights, I don't even know if I can call them highlights, from the press conference and some of the language that Andrew Bassett was using about it just being a very brutal process and he had no idea, he was blindsided, yeah, that was a bit tough. And then we basically said, sing for your supper, like we'll give you, you know, come and convince us why we're making the wrong decision. And all I could think of was save yourself on the floor. <laughs> it's very succession. <laughs> Just as a side note to how succession that was, I have seen that Lindsay Fox 85th birthday <laughs> cruise, whatever, be referred to out of the Essendon drama because I think Kevin Sheedy was on that boat and also Jeff Kennett was on that boat when all of the Hawthorne stuff went down. Um, Just to quote something that was also very succession about Kevin Sheedy, and I hope play the music <laughs> under this as well, Tess. <laughs> When Kevin Sheedy and his wife Geraldine boarded Lindsay Fox's luxury boat in New York to celebrate the old trucker's 85th birthday last month, the Essendon coaching legend was in a festive mood. What happened in the 12 days Sheedy was at sea is a mystery. 
from an article when he disembarked in Montreal the lay of the land at Essendon had changed dramatically I'll tell you what it was it was the pyjama party hosted by Peter Alexander on that boat Okay, my kids have Peter Alexander pyjamas and they've all got Bluey on them. I am picturing Jeff Kennett, Kevin Sheedy, Andrew Bassett and Lindsay Fox in their Bluey pyjamas all hitting each other with pillows. I hear you. Like Peter Alexander does like hot Christmas themed pyjamas. Hot with a WT. Okay, I see your succession. I raise you that I think this St Kilda story is actually way more rom-com. <laughs> you got to go with me on this. Love it. Hit the, hit <laughs> yeah, the play tune. some rom-com music for this one. So she said, what's the problem, baby? What's the problem? I don't know. Well, maybe I'm in love, love. Think about it every time I think about it. Can't stop. I think Brett Ratton just copped a really giant version of He's Just Not That Into You. <laughs> I think that if Brett Ratton had a good old-fashioned Hollywood glow-up, like we've recently seen with Chris Scott, I think that they would have kept him because the kind of rhetoric that I'm hearing around it is, you know, he just doesn't look like the kind of guy who would be holding up the Premiership (laughs) Cup. And also there's real shades of a love triangle here and we don't yet know who the person is that's going to coach, but I suspect there's all this chat about it being Ross Lyon, who is the ultimate (laughs) rom-com villain. I'm going to actually lean on Ducky from Pretty in Pink here as my example. I feel that... Maybe Molly Ringwald is like the St Kilda board <laughs> and she's got Ducky on She's got Ducky on the leash, right? So I think that Ducky, uh, and this is probably quite an old reference for folks playing along at home, but Ducky was the good guy who always supported it. He was a little bit funny looking and he had some stuff. He wasn't rich, you know, he was a bit of a run-of-the-mill guy. But then she only had eyes for Andrew McCarthy, who was actually just not a very nice, decent human with good values Anyway, and also a really bad haircut because in the final scene he was wearing a wig because by then they were doing some retakes. I think so. I think it's a love mm, triangle story, mm. and we it, we it hasn't dropped just yet who the other player is. But I think that it'll if it's Ross Lyon, I think he's the ultimate like <laughs> that shiny hair guy out of Beauty and the Beast. That really disgusting one. Oh, Gascon that doesn't want to be Gaston. Gaston, Gaston, yeah, Gaston. Yeah. So I think it's that or. Lucy, do you have a suggestion? Well, Who's I a do because I'm kind of picturing if St Kilda and um, Brett Ratton are Danny and Sandy from <laughs> Greece, is Ross Lyon Chacha Gregorio? <laughs> the best coach at St Bernadette's with the worst reputation. <laughs> oh, love Oh, Ross Lyon is Cha-Cha Di Gregorio. He is. But also coming back full circle right to what you were saying at the start, Tess, and, you know, we were talking about this last week about if you talk to the fans, maybe you can kind of circumvent some of this mess. Do you think St Kilda fans will be happy if Ross Lyon comes back? He left them. Like he abandoned them and went to Freo and good for him. But honestly, if this story is a rom-com, it may actually be cast away (laughs) because... Um, when Tom Hanks comes back after being cast away and, you know, he's not in the best physical shape of his life, he's had he's had a rough time, you know, a bit like Brett Ratton, he's had a rough time. He comes back, he has a contract with Helen Hunt. They were engaged or married or whatever, but she's moved on and the guy that she's with, you know, on paper looks all right, but he's a dentist. <laughs> You've gone then- too far, Emma Race. <laughs> Dentists are people too. I think they make him a dentist in the movie because people are scared mm. of dentists. He's not a terrible person. I feel like at the end of the movie, and this is hopeful for rats, that when he's standing on the crossroads and he doesn't have the relationship with Helen Hunt anymore because mm. she's moved on and that contract's been torn up, he just has freedom and opportunity, which hopefully rats is standing on the corner of a crossroads right now knowing he's going to get paid for the next two years, you know, to come to the Mangrook session with us. <laughs> More than welcome. And I raise you. So you've, Lucy said it's succession and you've said it's a rom-com. I actually think it's more like a reality dating show. Now, for people who have not been paying attention, there's just this unbelievable program with just huge amounts of integrity called Love is Blind on Netflix. And the theory <laughs> is that through a wall, you don't get to see the other person. Through a wall, you have like a few dates and you chat, chat, chat and get to know each other over a glass of wine. And then you have to propose 
whether you will marry them without ever having seen them. And then when you propose and they say yes, then you get to see them in real life and then they follow you to the wedding. What are you talking oh about? Oh, my God. So it's like The Voice it's but for getting unbelievable married. television. I have two group chats that are purely dedicated to Love is Blind, so you're more than welcome to join along. However, there was a season two love triangle. This sounds made up but it's not. There was a man called Shane and there was a woman called Shana um, <laughs> and another person. <laughs> so they have the same name and there's another person called Natalie. Now, Natalie is the uh, Brett Ratton of this situation. Shane, no good. Shane is St Kilda. Shana, troubled. A bit like Ross Lyon. He's going to coach every single team in the whole league, apparently, if you read the papers. And that's a bit like Shana. She was going to marry them all, but none of them know that. So Shane proposes to Shana. Shana says no. He proposes to Natalie. Natalie doesn't know that he has proposed to Shana and she thinks he's his first choice. Like Brett Ratton gets re-signed. He thinks he's the first choice. Then she finds out. Hello? Hi. Who am I talking to? I don't know. Take a guess. No. The, oh, Shana. There you go. It's Natalie. <laughs> Like, you, you, do you think I'm a dick or what? I mean... Listen, if you think I'm a dick, I, I feel like that's kind of weird, no offense, but... So Natalie ends up leaving at Shane at the altar, guys, because um, she realises it's not right for him because she's got a type. And I think Brett Radden has a type. I'm going to put it out there. Carlton St Kilda, very similar. Chaotic energy, Melbourne clubs, not the big ones, and... Brett Ratton's their, you know, person, and then he gets stitched because he's not ruthless enough. They get someone else in and then it doesn't work out. Brett Ratton, in all of these stories, succession, rom-com, reality TV show, the message is that he's better off without St Kilda, right? That is the message that we're getting from all of these things. And reality TV shows, it's about, it's like zero to 100, right? They don't meet each other, but then they're married, right? That's the scenario of this show. And that's a bit like footy and coaching relationships in the relationship between Andrew Bassett and Brett Ratton. Because if you go back to 2021, here's a quote from Andrew Bassett. I fully expect Brett Ratton to be our long-term coach and I fully expect no pressure at all, but he'll become our second premiership coach and hopefully not before long. Then we fast forward to July where he says, as a leader of our men's program, Brett has secured significant buy-in from his fellow coaches, staff and players alike. And then... Love is blind, like more like love is blind signed it, guys, because October 2022, he's gone. <laughs> now that is a wrong guy. Hang on, where was that quote from? Was that quote from 2021? 2021, he's going to be our premiership coach. October 2022. He'll be here for a long yeah, time. he'll be here for a long time. And just putting it out there, 2022, he says, I don't envision him as the person that's going to hold up our premiership cup. But you did. Why would you want to be Why? a coach? Why would you want to be a coach in this uh, game? You really wouldn't. I mean, yeah, getting paid for two years to do nothing is pretty fun. Get to watch footy, get to go to the footy, get to sit in the box and drink 11 cartons of dare iced chocolate. Um, and that would be quite good to me. But like, I felt conflicted this week because I am in two minds that I don't necessarily agree with the fact that you look at the last premierships, premiership teams and then think, well, what did they do? We'll do that. Because every club is different and particularly a club like St Kilda who hasn't won in so long is not the same as Geelong, Melbourne. Oh, maybe it's the same as Melbourne, but, you know, whatever. So I kind of heard that word ruthless. We need to be more ruthless. It was triggering and I couldn't work out why. And then I like did some Googling. And I remembered that the last person I remembered saying ruthless with such seriousness was D- Dr. Martin Hiscock in the, you know, the failed coup of the Richmond oh, board yes. in 2016. Now, Martin Hiscock mm. had said at the time that he didn't believe that Richmond was ruthless enough in our football department to win a flag. And the next year, spoiler alert, guys, we won the flag. So I heard that ruthless thing and it just bothered me. And I Googled ruthless and I thought maybe ruthless has taken on a different meaning, you know, but ruthless means to have no compassion. And if you look at the three last premiership teams, Geelong, Melbourne, Richmond, the thing that they talk about is connection, compassion, community. I don't know, it just didn't sit right with me where I thought, why haven't you been paying attention? Maybe less time on the love boat in your bluey pyjamas, more time (laughs) looking at the last three premiership teams and then thinking, well, what did they do? Maybe we'll do that. Well, I think just looking at what other people are doing and thinking that you actually can see what's happening from the outside, I don't know if that's right. Everyone's got their own culture. Who knows what goes into the special sauce? The special sauce is going to be different depending on who the individuals are, who the people are in that team and what that team needs. But I think less powerful coterie groups having influence in football clubs would be a helpful thing. Oh, yeah, this is an interesting one. That's just that's the that's stone the, cutters I that we never get with. access to yeah. them, right? But they're the stone cutters society where it does feel like they have a seat at the table that – they have several seats the at the table or on the boat. Yeah, they're not part of the board. 
but they seem to be able to rock the boat. Don't rock the boat, baby, rock the boat, rock. I'd like to see all of the St Kilda, as a way of kind of getting it out, all the St Kilda potential coaches have to do the rock the boat dance that we all saw in the Dairy Girls. <laughs> and then we figure out who's the best at doing the rock the boat dance. And if you're the best, you get to coach St Kilda. What are your thoughts? You've just written the new reality show and I love it. This sorry, is the sorry, con- sorry, sorry, but is this why we had boats for the grand final parade? <laughs> Oh, my God. Oh, my God. The private yacht that they were laurel on should go down the Yarra next year instead of the players. Send Lindsay Fox down the Yarra. I can't even deep dive. That boat was just too much. That was just too much. In all seriousness, though, I genuinely hope this is the right decision because if my family have to suffer through like 50 more years of no St Kilda premierships and 100 more coaches getting sacked and 100 more presidents saying that was the right decision, I just, my heart actually breaks for them and I feel genuinely very sad about it and I want St Kilda to come good and I want them to have that culture that they can be proud of but they need a culture makeover and I really do think that um, we're about to find out what a culture makeover really looks like because our very own Rana Hussein has talked to a man that knows his stuff about culture. Richmond's uh, leadership and culture consultant Shane McCurry, he knows heaps about what it means to turn a culture around because that's what the Tigers did, thankfully for me. So Rana, over to you. Let's find out a little bit more about what culture is and uh, how football clubs can get a good one. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Ali Blackburn and you're listening to the Yada Sanctum. Welcome to the show, Shane. You work in culture and leadership, mainly in sport. But before we even get to that, what does a leadership and culture consultant do? <laughs> <laughs> it's a really good question. I, um, I, I grew up in, in country Victoria and um, my father still lives back there and I still remember a conversation with him very early doors when I started off down this path and he said to me one day, uh, what should I tell people that you do for work? <laughs> I know that feeling. <laughs> and it was a really interesting question. It was almost like, what's the pub test for, uh, <laughs> you know, what your job description actually is as as a culture and leadership consultant? I think, you know, in its simplest form, you help organisations create an environment that gets the very best out of their people, but that is an environment that the people themselves love being there, I think. So it's... It's how can you you find that right mix between being a, a high high performing or high achieving organisation and generate output and outcomes and results, but you do that in a way that actually creates a fulfilling and a rewarding experience for everyone that's involved. So when a club invites you in, what are they normally saying to you? What are they asking you to do? I think they're they're wanting to go on a on a journey of um, understanding. Or defining, you know, what it is that they stand for. What are the things that are important to them from a value, purpose, and values viewpoint? Um, so sometimes, you know, they'll be low-performing organisations that, you know, have gone through a sustained period of poor, poor performance. Perhaps they could be an organisation that's just starting together for the first time, or a team that's just coming together for the first time. Um, other times, it'll be a really high-performing organisation that's had a lot of success over a long period of time but they're looking for another level. I'm interested in what you've learned about leadership as a capability and how that's changed over time because the world has changed so much. Has leadership changed with it? Oh, it has enormously, hasn't it? I think um, we're seeing that, you know, in all industries, full stop, but particularly in sport, whereby people that are involved in sport, whether they like it or not, and I think hopefully we're getting to a place where more than not like it than not (laughs) is that that position of of that you're a role model when you're involved in sport because sport is such a a great vehicle for social change. And when you're involved in sport, you've got a lot of people who who love sport. And people want to see, they want to see people who are authentic as well too. They they don't want to see these perfect robotic shells of a human being who do things the right way all of the time. I think that there's 
that space we're seeing now, you know, we, we use that word vulnerability, it gets used a lot, but we want to see people who are, who are real and authentic and, and imperfect. And, and I think that that's uh, probably a big shift we're seeing in the leadership space is how do you balance the need to perform well uh, and execute your role and maintain high standards, but at the same time demonstrate that you're a human being at the end of the day, and that's okay, and that's a good thing, and we should um, we should try to embrace and celebrate that a bit more. Just on vulnerability, so many of the spaces that you work in are quite male-dominated. Traditionally, masculinity hasn't wanted to have conversations about vulnerability and have kind of gone running from that concept but that seems to have changed i'm interested if you see masculinity changing oh for 100 and i think that the other thing that's changed rana is that those environments are no longer dominated in terms of there are more men than women but there are more women in those environments than ever before in the past and i think that in itself is a fantastic thing because if you even sort of rewind back to five six seven years ago uh, and it's still the case for some teams right around the world, but even in Australia, is that there are only men in some of those environments. Um, they're not all of them, but in some, there there is a, a big number of, of males and, and very few women, if any at all. And I think if, if that's the profile of your team or football department, for example, then it's a real shame because you should be striving to have your team environment be a microcosm of society wherever possible and based on gender, based on cultural background, um, even just the age um, component is something where you want to have a a really diverse mix of people. You know, I think the diverse Mm -hmm. teams are the best teams. The diverse cultures are the strongest cultures. Uh, Yes, it takes longer to get a diverse group of people to click but the outcomes are so much more sustainable if, if you've got that. But I think that the, the question you asked around masculinity is that we do have a lot of conversations around what does healthy masculinity look like in 2022 and what does unhealthy masculinity look like perhaps and, and even sort of who are some of the more positive male role models in your life and then who are some of the less positive male role models in your life. And we've all got... Um, positive and negative role models in our life for different reasons. And it's good to actually talk about that and identify, well, what is it about those positive role models that you like and that you're drawn to and attracted to? And then what are some of the perhaps less desirable traits and um, and how can you best protect yourself from displaying those same traits yourself? What happens then when you do get pushback? I mean, I have to imagine that in some of these environments when you come in, maybe the leaders have brought you in, but there are people in there who go, nah. I don't think so, mate. What do you do with that? Yeah, sometimes there could be pushback. And the other thing I think, Rana, is that you know, I often say this early on in a journey, and this is not just related to gender, but also just culture more broadly, is that when you're dealing with young people, uh, men or women, it's not a matter of if something happens, it's usually when and what. And I think we see a lot of that in sport is that it's not just the teams with the, the poor cultures or the ones that are... Uh, are implementing below-the-line education, for example, that are the ones that, that make mistakes or, or have slip-ups and examples of antisocial behaviour perhaps or, or incidents along the way, but it's also the very strongest cultures. Now, you'd like to think that the stronger cultures, the ones who are the teams that are putting more focus on that area will have less over time and that you uh, reduce the risk of those types of things happening. But it is very challenging to eliminate that risk altogether. And so I think it's not so much stopping things happening as much as it is if if there is something to happen, how will we deal with it? Mm. Uh, Because uh, we can think of almost every team in every professional sport around the world that's had at least one incident every season, every year for the last 100 years. So I think that that part of it is a big and important role that the leaders in an environment play is around when something happens, do we just let it happen and then move on from it? Or do we let it happen and then make sure we're having some really good quality, robust conversations off the back of it, involving people from multiple levels of the organisation around what did we learn here? That's really important. And then, you know, if there's resistance, it's, you do have to challenge yourself around, well, what's the why here? You know, what, Mm. why, why are we getting resistance? Why might that person be coming from a position of defensiveness or, you know, not believing that something's important or not valuing it as much as what they otherwise might? If we've got an understanding of that, like what, is, what are our tactics around ha- having that conversation about the why? Why is this important? Well, it's important because we're not just a sporting organisation here. You know, we're not just 
producing footballers or basketballers or netballers or we're, we're actually trying to produce great people. You've already kind of talked to it in the way you've spoken about a leadership journey and how a leader thinks and even how we move through issues. Can you tell me about storytelling and how you use that in your practice? Yeah, I mean, I love storytelling and I wouldn't say that uh, I'm a super proficient storyteller, but I don't think you have to be. I think you had to have a love for storytelling is almost the essence of life really is that before we had anything else, we had stories. You know, stories are, are the thing that for thousands of years, they've been what brings us together and binds us together as human beings. It's, it's our method of understanding ourselves and what's important to us. Um, it's our method of being able to connect our our path with the path of the the community or the group that we're a part of. And then it's also the the main avenue by which the communities that we're a part of pass the learning and knowledge around what's important and where we've come from, from one generation to the next. Um, and we're, we're so fortunate to be in Australia, a country like Australia, where we can learn so much from Indigenous culture. You know, people have been around for 60,000 years, Indigenous people of Australia, and, and the passing of stories from one generation to the next is something we can learn so much from. Um, it's, it's, it's such a, a fascinating area. But in the, the sporting uh, area, it's even more important because everyone has a story and everyone's story is special. Our greatest growth comes from embracing our story and celebrating our story and being proud of who we are. You know, even if we've got some some darkness or shadows in the past, it's it's sort of coming to that point where you really embrace your story. And then the great thing about team environments is when you come together with a group of people, is you get to create new stories together. And so there's that new layer that becomes added on. Is it's not just your story anymore; it's then the story of you and all of those other people that you share that experience with. And I think that's probably the greatest thing I love about team sport uh, and doing the work that I do is that it's about the collective shared experience of life. You can actually use it as a tool to help people celebrate who they are individually, but then you can actually use it as a tool to help celebrate who you are collectively as well too. I love that so much. And I also love just watching you come alive when you talk about this stuff. Like you just, there's just a light that's coming out of you. It's beautiful. To me, that's how you make diversity work so often I get asked about you know well with diversity comes a clash of ideologies and and difference that might not be reconciled and in what you're saying what I'm hearing is we can create spaces where we tell those individual stories and we can have our individual stories but then we also contribute to an overarching story about the collective. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, no, I think that that's, that's 100% true. There's a great uh, quote by a lady named Lisa Cron um, from a book about storytelling and I think she says, story, as it turns out, was crucial to, to our evolution, more so than opposable thumbs. Opposable thumbs let us hang on. Story told us what to hang on to. And I think that, that you know, for me just encapsulates everything that's great about storytelling is it does give you a really powerful anchor for yourself, but then also for everyone around you. We've seen some really tough stuff come out of football in the last few weeks around relationships between coaches and their players, allegations, but also, you know, the cultures of clubs, even over the last few years, whether it's racism or sexual assault. Given that this is your bread and butter, you're working in culture and leadership, when you hear these stories come out, when they break what do you feel when that moment comes? Seeing the, the responsibility and the opportunity that you have to set the right example in terms of the way you work through it, I think that's the first thing is that the leaders in the environment and the people who are involved in working through some of these issues, whatever they might relate to, you've actually got an opportunity through what has happened to help lead the way, show the example, you know, set the tone for what should be expected more broadly um, both now and into the future. And so I think that that responsibility that comes with that, you know, shouldn't be undervalued or overlooked. That's a really important part of it. Again, to my earlier point around that it's not a matter of if something happens, it's usually when and what, is that they're teachable moments in a way. You can take so much from them if you approach the conversations and deal with the scenarios that come up in the in the right way. And I think it's a good reminder about just the power of, of allyship. Diversity is strength. There is no no question about it. And I found myself, you know, almost making that point from the outset in a lot of the workshops and, and talks that I've been giving over the last couple of years is because I, I always thought that that 
was a given, but I don't think it is. Uh, I think it's becoming that way, but I don't think it's a given. And so making that call or, or reinforcing that point, uh, emphasizing that from the outset, I think actually encourages a conversation then about, well, okay, well, how how diverse are we? And what what is diversity? And what does that look like in terms of our culture, our people and personnel, our performance, the, the way we, we have conversations day to day and being prepared to sort of really listen, like ask, ask the question, then listen, and particularly listen to the voices that sometimes are not heard. What are you looking for when you look for culture? What are the indicators, whether good or bad culture, but what tells you what a culture is? Yeah, well, there, there are many different aspects to culture. It's a word that gets bandied around a lot, isn't it? And we often mm. use it without probably understanding it or knowing what we mean when we talk about it. There's what's espoused as culture. So that's sort of what we talk about that we stand for, whether it's you know a purpose or our values or a vision, the behaviours that we value the most. Um, and I talk about those things as uh, cultural foundations, and you want to have really clearly defined cultural foundations. But more importantly than defining them is having multiple people at multiple levels of the organisation involved in talking about what do they think the cultural foundations of that organisation are or what are the things that they think are most important, uh, including what do they love most about their involvement with that organisation. And that's one of my favourite kind of culture prompts when you're working through a process of helping a team uh, or a business you know create new cultural foundations is what do you love most about working for dot 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 what do you love most about playing for dot 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 uh, and and some of the conversations that come off the back of that are just incredible and there's so much and they often involve stories <laughs> more often than not but they're they're more than just words around what you know it's not about honesty respect loyalty all, all of those words that that get bandied around in, in values conversations. You get people talking from the heart about examples of things that are critically important to them about existing in that environment. But then beyond that, it's obviously what people, the, the behaviours people display day to day because it's one thing to write something down on a piece of paper. It's another thing to actually live and breathe it. And so beyond that, I sort of talk about the three R's, you know, relationships. So getting the right people together in the environment, having that diversity in that environment as part of that. And then actually having a like a clear set of actions, some of which are structured or formal and some of which are, are unstructured and informal that enable you to build closer, deeper relationships with one another. So that's the first. Uh, the second one is, is rituals. So what rituals do you have in place that give you an opportunity to bring your culture to life, to celebrate um, what you're most proud of, to talk about what's going well and to talk about what's not going so well? Uh, importantly, uh, and then the third one is 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 the rhythms. So, what are the rhythms of the way people move in and out and around that environment? What meetings take place? What are the key meetings? When do those meetings happen? Um, how long do the meetings go for? Where are the meetings taking place? And not just meetings, the conversations as well too. The rhythms of mm. the meetings, but the rhythms of the conversations as well too. And setting some broad expectations around: well, how do we want to build relationships? Uh, what do we want those rituals, key rituals, to look like? Um, and then how do we establish some of those rhythms that will enable us to bring our desired culture to life on a day-to-day basis? And so that, that's, that's a big part of it. And, and the other thing I'd say is that, you know, culture is not static, is that I think we, we often think that we can clearly define it, write down on a piece of paper, then go away and execute it to the nth degree. No, no, that's not culture. You know, culture's constantly evolving, changing, growing, Culture is the connection of the past to the present and the future as well too. So it's this, it's almost like this organism in itself and mm. all that the leaders and the members of that culture or environment can hope to do is to help shape that in the best form that they can so that it evolves and creates an environment that's much better for future generations. And, mm. and that's, a, you know, again, we talked before about so what we've got to learn from Indigenous culture in particular. And, I, you know, one of the things I love, a couple of friends who are, traditional owners and elders in the Indigenous community and just talking to them about that fact that sometimes the the Western approach is to kind of create success for now or, or, or chase those short-term results, whereas the Indigenous culture is all about how do we strengthen the culture now so that it's in a better place for future generations. When you think about culture and leadership from that perspective, it becomes much more about custodianship 
and eldership than it does about you know elite high performance if you like and and so i think that that um you know creates a really useful and healthy reflection around what is my role in the environment as a as a leader in in helping shape and evolve and grow that culture over a long period of time it feels like culture and team environments particularly in the AFL are under the magnifying glass at the moment and i've heard a ceo not in sport talk about toxic cultures as sometimes being a bit like the asbestos in the walls. And we see that sometimes where organisations will identify there's a problem, they'll have a leadership change as part of the solution, but then the problems are still there. And so how much of culture sits with leaders and how much is it something that's kind of in the air almost? Uh, I think it's always co-owned by, yes, the leaders, they inherit sort of a story from coming into the environment from previous generations. So, you know, again, they, they have an opportunity to shape what that looks like going forward. So I think the leaders play a really strong role. But then again, like what, what is a leader? Is the leader the person that's in the, the key position? You know, mm. is it the CEO? Is, is the leadership the board? Is it the oldest players uh, or most experienced players? Like leadership can mean many different things. And sometimes the people that we put in leadership positions that have the leadership title are not the actual leaders or they're not the only leaders. And so that's where I think it, it can't be just the leaders in quotation marks because maybe if it's just the defined leaders, then the most important voices are not in the mix. So I think that that combination of people who are in leadership roles, who are responsible for managing people or who are in a leadership group or who have leadership in their job title, yes, absolutely, they need to be involved and they need, need to be the ones driving it. But if they're expecting to do all of the work themselves, good luck. <laughs> you know, it's, it needs to be much more of a, you know, I know Brendan Gale at Richmond um, talks about co-authorship. You know, it needs to be a process that's co-authored and involving multiple voices from multiple people at multiple levels inside of the organization and sometimes outside of the organization as well too is engaging with people who might not be involved day to day but might have been involved in the past or they might be involved in different they might have a connection to that organization or that team or club Um, and sometimes you want to get their perspectives and and voices in the mix as well too so it's not easy it's very complex but I think kind of sitting back and sort of talking about well yeah okay this is where we're at this is where we want to get to who are the most important people we need to have as part of this conversation and that's now but then seeing that as a longer term process where well maybe they're the people we have to have part of the conversation now but then we want to introduce some other voices into the mix as we go along and so that part of the the process is is really important as well too and i think i mentioned it i've mentioned it a few times and in the vein of storytelling like bringing people together to talk about the stories that help them understand what is great about that place and then also sharing some of the stories perhaps that illustrate what's not so great or where we want to move away from. Mm -hmm. And we've got two choices with some of that stuff that isn't great is that we either pretend that it doesn't, doesn't happen or didn't happen or was in the past and we'll never go back there again or we actually embrace that as part of our story as well too. And there are plenty of examples of that in many organizations all around the world where some of them have got a very dark, dark history or things that have happened in the past that they're not particularly proud of. So you either pretend that didn't happen or you embrace it and talk about it and have it shape what that next chapter of your story looks like or next chapters of your story look like. Mm. Um, And sometimes I think trying to sweep things under the rug doesn't do anyone any service or justice at all. Thank you so much for talking to me today, Shane. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much to Rana and Shane for that very timely conversation. If you enjoyed it, you can listen to an extended version of the conversation that will be released later in the week on the Outer Sanctum podcast feed. We'll, of course, be promoting that through all of our socials. But this week, Lucy, really interesting. Netball made headlines when the players made a statement about wearing new sponsor Hancock prospecting on their uniforms. This story leads into something that we've actually, we were talking about recently when we went to the AFL Players for Climate Action launch of of a movie and we spoke to we heard from Emma Pocock and we were talking about how values are going to start abutting sponsorship and it doesn't feel like this is the start of the story but it feels like this is just the tip of the iceberg 
Mm, absolutely. So last month, Netball Australia announced this multi-million dollar sponsorship deal, which they really needed because Netball Australia has been in money trouble. And part of that deal meant that until the end of 2025, the logo for Hancock Prospecting is meant to be on the uniform. What we've seen with basically the Diamonds have been playing the Constellation Cup. Sadly, they've lost the first two games. So hopefully they can turn that around. But they didn't come out to play in the first game with the logo on the dress. And it's emerged that the players have got some real concerns about it. Donnell Wallam, who is a Noongar woman who is in the Diamond squad, is reported to have been particularly concerned about wearing that logo and the fact that those values really do not sit very well with her, given the impact on cultural sites around around the country and the environment and the team from all reports um, have decided to stand with her on that. So basically they're going to finish this four game season with the Constellation Cup in the uniform without the logo and then revisit the issue. But what I think it really raises is whether we now need to have real conversations in CBAs and agreements with players that bring in sponsorship and ask those questions early on because I think what's being illustrated here is that there really wasn't any consultation with the players and there were eyebrows raised at the start of it. Shani Norder put out a tweet straight away. I think Bianca Chatfield's been speaking about it as well. And if you don't have that consultation, I, I just don't think that players these days are going to be open to just wearing these logos. And we're seeing it on the world stage. There was an article this week that came out in the Financial Times talking about a new global partnership between a Saudi energy company called Aramco with the ICC, which will be covering the ICC events up until the end of 2023. And in the UK, there's quite a bit of discussion about a deal that Shell have done with British Cycling. So there's just this tension between organisations, the sponsorships that they are signing up to and the players um, and to the athletes. My feeling on this is that going forward, I don't know where else big money like this is going to come from if it's not from companies who are trying to greenwash or, you know, social wash their brands through sport. So if we accept that that's potentially going to be the premise and sport does need this money, well, firstly, I've been trying to think around it. I've been trying to think around how do we make it work? And one of the first things I thought was, well, we have warnings on cigarette labels. So what if there's warnings, not a warning style message about saying, this is what Hancock Prospecting does. And not all of our players agree with that. If you want to sign up for climate action, you can do that here and here on the website, that the players shouldn't have to wear logos, that there should be some other way that that deal is done, that it shouldn't be about logos on an actual item that people have to wear. And also just looking at it, Gina Reinhart is worth $27 billion. This is a deal worth $15 million that will cover them for four years. I wouldn't even start having the conversation unless there's three other zeros on the end of that. Yeah, I think, I mean, Greenpeace made an interesting point in that Financial Times article that with arts and some of the arts organisations now no longer willing to take, be, being willing to take sponsorship money from companies like Shell or Saudi energy companies, that it's pushing them towards sport because the way that they've basically advertised and and tried to get kind of that social licensing in the past, those avenues are now being closed to them. I think it's time for us to get into our Peter Alexander (laughs) pyjamas and just bash each other with a pillow and then, you know, make some major board moves. What do you think, guys? Rock the boat, baby. (laughs) Rock the boat. Don't tip the boat over. Rock the boat. I love it. It's a beautiful day. Let's get on the open seas and just just make some decisions about people's future. Let's just make some big deals in the corner. Let's do it. Go over to the corner. And I'm going to talk to you about all the people I think should get the sack. Let's do it. Uh, before we leave, next week is going to be one of the most unhinged pods <laughs> you ever hear is what I'm already predicting because the Outer Sanctum is going on a footy trip and the podcast will be recorded at some point between the hours of Saturday morning and Sunday early morning. hours of Sunday morning. Uh, you should, the menu planning is off its rocker. 
it's going to be ridiculous. No pumpkin, so, no st- cucumber. No onions, no, no pumpkin, garlic. No pumpkin, no cucumber. So I was, mm, yeah, I'm going to bring in my own stash of garlic. <laughs> so we will be potting from the bunk beds on our footy trip. Like just wait and see what happens. We don't know. We don't know what kind Full of pajama party is going to be. As, as Ross Lyon, former and current and future coach of all of the clubs, would say, <laughs> strap yourselves in because <laughs> – Strap yourself in. I don't know what's coming. As Chacha de Gregorio famously said in Greece, strap yourselves in. <laughs> there is only one thing left to say. Go, and that is go, go footy. Ahoy, me mate. Arr, me hearties. Who'll go there and want to be the coach? Ross and Kilda, me hearties. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.